Treating your need for healthcare news, we are NHE. News, views and insider truths from the heart of the healthcare sector. We are the NHE team. I'm Emily. I'm Matt. I'm Ilsa. And each episode, we will connect you to the people behind the UK health sector, sharing insights and innovation. This podcast is brought to you by Evo North. Uniting leaders from the public and private sector to collaborate, share exciting innovations and build a stronger northern powerhouse together. So on today's show, we are, we're joined by Dr. Tracy Bell, MBE. Um, you're a very, very busy woman, so we'll run through the job titles you, uh, you currently have. You are an associate lead for GM Health and Social Care Partnership, uh, chief executive of the Manchester Local Medical Committee and clinical director of Health Innovation Manchester. See, that's three very wide-reaching <laughs> roles, very busy. That's a very boring introduction. <laughs> yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, about those roles, and as you say, maybe excite them a bit more and explain a bit of what they um, actually mean? So you mean by telling people about myself, you mean about those roles? Of course, uh, yeah. they don't define me, just say of course. Yes. Um, no, and I absolutely. hope to bring some definition to those roles. So the associate lead is kind of a, a switching title as we've changed over the time. Um, I came into the Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership Devolution Programme as uh, an associate rather than being directly employed, um, leading on behalf of our primary care providers to give them a voice and part uh, uh, of their voice needed to have a place in the governance also. So I've built up that uh, provider infrastructure to make sure that grassroots providers have a say in transformation um, and um, patient care. Um, because we are, um, I'm adamant that uh, we need to make sure that the voice of primary care and frontline practitioners, that includes all other clinicians, um, uh, have to speak into strategy if we are going to make changes in patient care, which is what we're about. Brilliant. Um, as you, you touched on as well, though, it isn't just the, um, the clinical side, the roles you have there that uh, define you. You were um, previously before all these roles took away a GP um, and a practicing GP. Um, you've had healthcare roles throughout. Why did you initially go into healthcare, if you don't mind me asking? Okay, so I, I'm a GP by background. I've been a GP in inner city Manchester practice for 25 years, and I actually still practice, so I'm still a performer, mm. um, just not um, a GP in a practice anymore because of these roles uh, have made me uh, decide where my um, energy needs to sit at the moment. I went into healthcare because I just wanted to help people. Simple as that. Sounds yeah. like it's really, oh, oh my gosh, go and get a bucket. And it's a desire to think, uh, what can I do to to help people's well-being. Um, healthcare has changed a lot over the time, so what I went into the job to do is probably not what we're doing at the moment, mm-hmm. in part, but really just wanted to make a difference in people's lives and share that life journey with them. I don't know if you can answer this, but of the three roles that you have, do you have a favourite? Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. <laughs> if you're going to get in trouble, so, then... I didn't really describe the roles, and kind of deliberately. So so the LMC role, Chief Executive, is just an advisory unit for GPs, mm-hmm. helping them cope from day to day, from everything from their mental health right through to their contracts and commissioning um, uh, negotiations. So that's 
So in that role, you won't be directly dealing with patients. You'll be just uh, no. dealing with the medical professionals. Dealing with the people right. that deal with patients, right. um, which is what keeps the service mm-hmm. um, together. Yeah. You have to really look at the well-being of people, caring yeah. for other people, and we don't do that enough. Yeah. So that role is deeply important. Um, I love the Devo role, or I did initially, because we were doing a lot of transformation, and I was able to give people that don't regularly have a voice a chance to feed into that structure. And that includes the citizens group that I started, with real live people, not in groups, not in associations, just real live citizens saying what they want to do, and chairing 35 of those in a room is no mean feat, because they're going to say it as it is. Um, so that's given me great pleasure to transform some of general practice and actually change the model of care that we're delivering and modernise the yeah. NHS. Deeply has its frustrations though because mm. the power base of the NHS is really not destined to be in the hands of the provider in primary care. Mm. So that has the highlights but also the real frustrations yeah. in that role. Health innovation is a lovely dream job. So I've always been wanting to change, um, make better, be an advocate for citizen care and the outcomes that we're developing. It gives me an opportunity to actually work in that field to say what can we do better and we have more opportunity to work with industry, to Mm. work with pharma, to work with um, real people to make a difference Um, and that's just pure innovation which which I absolutely love. So they're all different. Yeah exactly and that word innovation it just makes you excited doesn't it that something's coming, something's more something better is coming for the for healthcare and I just feel like it's got a lot more potential to kind of galvanise people and be excited about the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all those roles should be innovative. We should be doing different things. Mm. What I actually find in some of them, and um, this is a bit controversial, that um, we spend too much time talking about organisation, power, governance, and we actually stop doing. Yeah. So we really need to concentrate in GM and throughout the country on what really enables better care to be delivered. Yeah. Sometimes we take our eye off the ball with that. Too much talking. Too yeah. much talking, too much committees, too much sort of talking the right language. Yeah. But the power base isn't that underpins the NHS is not changing enough. So we aren't able to follow through on the conversation or the strategy because a fundamental power and investment is going to the wrong place and that needs transforming. Yeah, so on that note, um, in regards to the NHS leadership, what meaningful change have you seen happen or you think needs to happen then? Well, first, obviously, we needed to bring um, general practice or primary care providers, which are a disparate group. They're hard to get Mm. to have a single voice. We have achieved that in GM. And we don't shout uh, as much as we should do about it. So pharmacy optums, um, all, all the sorts of businesses on the high street come together with a single voice. We've done that. We have given them a voice. Have we given them investment? Yeah. No, we haven't. So we talk about care closer to home. Have we got meaningful investment to allow them to sit at the table? Mm. No, a lot of the NHS capital money still goes to secondary care providers. Um, to provide for disease and what we need is the NHS to provide for well-being which means a broader investment across so we're not there yet Mm. and we've started that and the same goes for social care we need more involvement of these areas 
but they're both primary care and social care are stifled by a lack of power base mm. and therefore a lack of investment. Yeah, as you say, there's sort of a tradition and a legacy almost of prioritising the treatment in the secondary care, in treating the disease, in treating the injuries and not the well-being, the preventative. If we can stop the patients coming into the hospital because we've dealt with it in the stages or treat them at the first gates, then surely that is a benefit to all of us. You know, that that is what I came into this job to do because we've been very much named ourselves as a Marmot region. So that's um, Professor Michael Marmot. You might have read some of his uh, pieces of work. He's been dealing in health inequalities for a long period of time. And that his most um, important quote for me is, we should stop treating people when they become ill and then returning them Mm -hmm. to the place that made them ill. And we need to look at the place yeah, that made true. them ill. Yeah. So the idea of the revolving door as well, when you come in for an issue and then you get sent back out and you go, go back to the same issue. Exactly, yeah. and that, those issues are about family, mm. housing, um, poverty, um, addiction, all, all those things, health. addiction, all of those add into it. But in trying to look at the place that makes someone ill, mm. we've got to transform NHS funding yeah. and investment. And at the points that it sits at the minute all the power and the investment sits in the disease methodology yeah and it actually doesn't sit in a place wrapped around p- people's well-being in life mm. and it doesn't concentrate on life outcomes which are different than health outcomes well there's a big push at the moment for social prescribing and things like that what do you think about those kind of um yeah I, I anything you know people say to me oh i hate the word social prescribing mm. or i hate you know, the fact that we've put a little bit of money into a link worker in general practice in the new contract. But actually, any money yeah. going into yeah. that space, whatever they call it, I don't thing. really mind about titles. What we need to meaningfully do, though, is it has created some disturbance. Mm-hmm. So what the GP contract has bought is the funding for a social prescribing link worker. Yeah, And the clue is in the title. It's a link to... Um, the voluntary and community sector that largely deliver massive mm-hmm. swathes of care um, they don't get properly funded they yeah. don't have meaningful contracts and so what commissioners have slightly decided to do in some areas is oh we'll withdraw any funding from the actual providers mm. and put it into this link worker yeah. if it has nowhere to link to you've missed the point so we wanted uh, the commissioners to drive the social prescribing in the voluntary sector which are doing a fabulous job i think they should have longer contracts a bit controversial maybe but it shouldn't be they should have longer tr- contracts and more money and then the link worker in primary care networks should link to that wealth of experience that they hold with people's real lives yeah, as you say there, it seems a backward system to link to someone who then does not have the place to link to because you've used the funding elsewhere. Exactly. Um, it's something that we see quite regularly in the magazine that we produce. Volunteering seems to be a regular theme because it is such an important role um, within it that is often overlooked. Um, so that was a brilliant discussion, a very valid uh, discussion. What we're going to do now is we're going to shift into a little bit of the uh, sort of personal side of yourself as well. Before you came in the studio, we asked you uh, to pick two songs. We're going to play the first of those now, about 20, 30 seconds of it, and we'll get to uh, hear a bit of uh, why you chose and what it means to you. Uh, so the first song we're going to listen to is uh, Giant by Rag and Ball Man and Calvin Harris. 
units that we've concentrated on. Uh, so 10 different boroughs or localities, almost two, uh, 10 integrated care systems. Yeah. And that is very difficult to do something GM-wide. Mm. So I think we should um, make commissioning decisions once over yeah. the whole of the 10, which we haven't achieved so far. And I think we'd go much further faster. Because we've got all the other components in part, but if we then make a decision once for GM and it disseminates and dilutes into 10 different outworkings, one, we, we can't produce the same care for any citizen across yeah. the whole of GM. Mm. And it's a problem, plus it stifles innovation because we have to have 10 different settings. Yeah, you want everybody to, on the same to, to page. Start, yeah, and so we have decisions where we all seem to agree and then we seem to do 10 different things, <laughs> um, which is really hard for citizens to understand. Yeah. If you're getting healthcare in a certain setting and you cross the road and you get a different style of healthcare. So my ambition would be to simplify that, take out some layers of management, bring in uh, more leadership from frontline practitioners mm. um, and uh, enable that. Uh, so less meetings, that's yeah. what I said to you earlier. Less, yeah. less meetings, more Absolutely. doing. Yeah. And like you say, it's just because it's simplifying and making that one um, sort of voice collectively for GM, that doesn't mean that areas can't be nuanced to f uh, meet specific needs for them. And it's just simply simplifying so that we don't have to, as you say, have 10 different meetings to achieve the same outcome in many situations. Yeah, I think, and I'm going to say this, and I, 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 it is controversial again, but I'm going to say it because it's, it's my thought yeah. that commissioning should be done over the whole of GM once, yeah. but delivery needs to be place-based and that place is as close as someone's home mm. so the delivery needs to be definitely defined by the person's place and close to them which is why we've got 10 local care organizations in order to do that and neighborhood working but commissioning does that need to be place-based i'm not sure amazing and obviously these local areas these commissioning bodies these are the um public side but as you've touched on earlier, innovation is a huge part of making these forward steps as well. Uh, so how about would um, private companies and these private organisations who potentially are the source of some of the big innovations that are potentially next through the door, how do they engage with the work that you are doing in GM? So we have a portal for everything from big pharma and industry to small SMEs, small and medium enterprises, mm -hmm. which can just contact the service. We have uh, an industry lead in Health Innovation Manchester, which is really that um, infrastructure. So they enter then, and we have a qualification route for what we're actually going to take forward and solution. So create, I don't want to use speak that nobody knows about. So solution is a simple word yeah. about creating what that thing is, what that innovation is, and is there a solution here? The thing that's really important with innovation, and I'll say it now in case we don't get it out, is actually there's loads of innovation out there. There's loads of digital solutions. There's all sorts of manner of things that we could do. Mm. But what we have to do, the clever part, is working out what our problems are mm. and then applying the tech to the problem or the innovation to it. We're at risk sometimes of just saying, oh, that's a great, wonderful thing. Yeah. That is a great thing over there. Let's bring that in. But it actually isn't solving things like health inequality mm. or the real problems yeah. that we have around cardiovascular disease, homelessness. What the key is, is to actually decide what the problem is, 
then use the technology to almost disrupt the culture and the, the model of care to bring out a better one. But if we do that in an area that's not so important, we see less um, uh, change result, yeah. and less results for the public. Yeah, you, you that's so that. true. Like yeah. Trying to tackle homelessness in an area with not much homelessness is not going to provide the results you want, is yeah. it? Exactly. Okay, so obviously you've spent a lot of time within the medical industry. What are the biggest changes that you've seen happen? The change for me probably come into several buckets. The change is there's been a distinct lack of investment mm-hmm. into um, the NHS, which largely has fallen at the feet of um, those with less power and less resource, which has been around primary care facilities, estates, yeah. and care closer to home in terms of social care. So that's a huge lack of investment. There's also been, um, because of that and because of some other changes in employment rules, there's been a falling uh, workforce because there's less desire to go into a workforce that are struggling. Absolutely. Um, and the press often says that they're overworked in the NHS, emergency departments are, are pressured. Yeah, the narrative is always are. overworked, underpaid. Yeah. With, with like so who, who wants to enter in that? So we have to start a new conversation. Yeah. Um, so that's how it feels at the, at the moment. And the NHS has looked like such a big... Um, organization that it's been very difficult to change mm. and disrupt it because it just goes on delivering in the same way which needs fundamental revolution to turn it upside down as we said earlier from a disease organization into a well-being one and that's taking time to chip away at that and some days I believe we can do it and other days I think just we just can't because it's a huge tanker of an organisation that's hierarchical and built on disease. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating because the NHS has been in the lives of probably everybody who's on earth at the moment, more or less. And it's just to, to think about how it must have changed in that time. For me, it's really interesting. I could keep you here talking about it all day. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to play your second song now, which is Elton John, I'm Still Standing. You can never know what it's like Your blood like winter freezes just like ice And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you you wind up like the wreck you hide behind that mask you use. And did you think this fool could never win? Well, look at me, I'm coming back again. I got a taste of love in a simple way. And if you need to know while I'm still standing, you just fade away. Don't you know I'm still standing better than I ever did? Lovely. So, why did you go for that song? I think I went for that song because it is uh, one that's a bit of a guilty pleasure. Yeah. So the morning I wake up and think this is just no longer doable or it's getting so, so hard. I remind myself I'm still standing. Yeah. And I love Elton John. I think it's fantastic. I can listen to that. It's an easy listen. So we'll pump out the vibes when I'm going through a flat moment, you know, and learn to sustain yourself. So. And I think that's a, something that a lot of people could take advice from to listen to something like that. Which leads us on to our first public question, which is, what is the best piece of advice you've been given? Well, um, stay true to yourself. Mm -hmm. Whatever the context you are in, always remain true to yourself, Um, which is what someone who's represented others 
for their entire life yeah. would say and I would say you know don't tread on people yeah um, on the way up because you will catch them on the way down there's waves uh, in leadership and um, always speak to the, the, the smallest cog in the room because that's important yeah. to to you to maintain uh, that relationship and, and, and keep in touch and just listen to the people around you make sure that you always have a, a mentor or someone to, a go-to who says actually you're just getting carried away there. Yeah, someone who speaks yeah who yeah. speaks directly to you you need that in your life whether it's your husband or or your colleague you need someone to say you know pipe down Definitely. that's ridiculous and you're absolutely right the health their healthcare industry is absolutely full of unsung heroes who just never get the kind of yeah. recognition that they would but need. But the fact is that sounds like, oh, you're trying to recognise them and make their day. It's absolutely the opposite. Mm. When I speak to people in uh, some of the other roles, they energise me. Yeah. Because you know what? They've got a life story that's totally going on for them. Yeah. And so it's it's a selfishness for me. Yeah. I speak to every person in the room because they bring something else to the conversation. Yeah. Back to that piece of best advice. I think probably the best advice is do more listening than you do talking. You've got two ears and one mouth. Use them accordingly. Absolutely. And I mean absolutely to our listeners, definitely more listening. (laughs) There you go, free plug. Um, So the second uh, public question we have, and we have touched on it briefly throughout, um, is what do you see as the next real big innovation in healthcare? Wow. Single innovation is difficult to, to name. I think the revolution should be around person-centred care yeah. uh, and population health, so prevention. So the pieces uh, are that, that speak to that are the biggest revolution in models of care. So it's going to be digital. Mm. Yeah. It's got to be digital and it's got to be a way to connect a person with more information about their own well-being. Um, so I could speak to you about lots of detail on that, but what we need to do is really have a better access into healthcare through digital means and then use the digital platforms to disrupt the model of delivery of healthcare that we have. So that sounds a bit high, but you can speak into that in different different ways, but the key is to get the person in their own home to understand a bit more about their well-being mm. and take strides to improve it um, and then get great access to uh, health need when they do need it and yeah. not just when they want it. So, so it's around that sort of using digital as a way to transform, which transforms workforce, makes it more sustainable. But, but they're not the keys. The key is to actually empower citizens with their own health. And there's lots of ways we can do that. Yeah, it's as, as very much um, going back to what was said earlier. It's understanding these great innovations, but it's actually using them, applying them to give the benefit to, uh, to the individual uh, patient. Yeah, and it's the ownership of your health that's really important. You own your health. However much people talk to you or do stuff to you, you actually own your own self. Yeah, giving them more control. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous. So we have put together a little medical quiz because we like to. Oh my gosh. We like to challenge our, You're gonna our challenge guests. You're going to challenge me now. Yes. When I and you know have naught out of five on the medical questions. Yeah, we, we we do like to always warm. We do 
effectively blindside our guests with these because <laughs> we find it it's funnier par- yeah partially funnier <laughs> partially we get the real honest answers so don't worry if the answers aren't six out of six yeah we got two yeah. out of six so yeah. as long as you beat us oh my gosh no pressure Watch okay me now. question one oh dear in which part of the body would a person have a pots fracture wow you're taking me back um i think that having not worked in emergency departments for a long time is your arm ankle yeah i thought it was one of the one of the limbs (laughs) yeah which ancient greek is known as the father of medicine hippocrates yes very good in humans the atlas and axis bones are in which part of the body very good on the 7th of July 2011 the world's first artificial organ transplant was achieved using which artificial part of the body coated with stem cells really difficult one this wow um, I'm thinking bone marrow but windpipe oh it's fine I I presume that's a hard one so yeah yeah no clue yeah yeah First developed by John Salk, the vaccine for which childhood illness was first tested in 1952? That would be polio. Very good. And the last question. What part of the body can be true, false or floating? Well, the only floating thing I can think of is a, is a rib. It is ribs. Yeah. Very good. So <laughs> I think that was... Four out of Four out of six. So yeah. I get to keep my license. Keep your job. <laughs> Uh, obviously last year, well I say last year, earlier this year, I should correct myself, uh, you spoke at Evo North. Um, what we like to do is a sort of our spin on the dinner guest um, question. So we're going to, in a hypothetical scenario, so that you have a table at the event this um, coming year for 2020, you, that table has some magical powers, we're not quite sure of the reasoning, <laughs> so you can invite anyone, alive or dead, to be on that, com- that table and have a conversation with them. Who would you uh, wow. invite? Gosh, this is a hard one to think of uh, straight away. I think I'd like to bring Nelson Mandela. Okay. Um, Nelson Mandela's had two. Really? Two. Uh, yesterday's guest on the really? podcast said Nelson Mandela as well. I wonder why that is. A very interesting man. Um, Boris Johnson. Okay. What would you like to ask him? Uh, I just, it's not so much what I'd like to ask him actually, I just want to understand his personality. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's always, the dinner is not about what you can ask them, it's about do you come away from dinners knowing a person any better or actually have they been under the persona of their title for the whole dinner so that people interest me. And I've been to so many dinners now where I've come out and thought, actually, I've learnt nothing about you, don't give anything, you're not yeah. comfortable, so therefore it tells me something about the way you work. Yeah. I think the other one, I th- you know, I'm thinking of people living, it would be quite nice to have a conversation with the Queen. Okay. Just to see what her life has brought her. It really yeah. interests me. Mm. You know, what is she as a real person underneath all that? Well, thank you so much for coming to join us. We know you're obviously extremely busy, but we've had a great afternoon and yeah. we are um, really looking forward to listening back to it. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. As Emily said, it's a real big thanks for us and we hope you've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Evo North, uniting leaders from the public and private sector to collaborate, share exciting innovations and build a stronger northern powerhouse together. Join the chat on social media using the hashtag WeAreNHE or send us an email via the link on our website.
If you enjoyed today's podcast and discussion, don't forget to subscribe or give us a rating on whatever streaming service you're using. Thanks for listening. See you next time.